So that, that last example kind of leads us into the theme of today's sermon, which is chaos. Both of the, um, the scripture lessons have to do with chaos. Chaos is when we lose control, when we're moved out of our comfort zone, when we can't tell what's going to happen, things are unpredictable, we might feel over our heads, uh, we're out of our element, you know. Um, the Galatians reading is about the chaos that's happening in the, in the churches in Galatia. They, it seemed like things were settled, uh, they knew what was going on, uh, that Paul had preached the message of, of salvation by grace, that, that people are saved by grace, not by works, and that, and that the Gentiles are in the church now because of God's love for all people, neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, but all are one in Christ Jesus. And they, they thought it was settled. And then people showed up and saying, no, it's not settled. Um, it's not good enough. Uh, to be in the church be, by the grace of God. Uh, one still has to obey the law. One still has to obey circumcision and other parts of the law. And it threw the church into chaos where people, you know, I thought I was in. No, you're not. You have to do more. Um, in a way, it is like general conference. I thought I was in. No, you're not. You know, um, I was thinking this morning of how would I feel if, if the church came out and said um, straight white males are, are not good enough, they can't be married in the church anymore, they can't preach in the church, they can't be ordained. I mean, it would throw my life into chaos. It's a very real thing. Um, I, I was talking to a minister friend the other week, and, and she was telling me about the chaos in her church. Um, things like changing worship times. People get really flustered over that. Changing um, orders of worship, changing doxologies. Uh, they, they throw churches into chaos. And I said, well, maybe you ought to tell them what you're not going to change so they can at least count on that. Yeah. The, uh, the Mark reading is about a, uh, a kind of a larger chaos. This is this is cosmic. I mean, sometimes chaos happens within us. Sometimes it happens outside of us. You know, Jesus and the disciples are in a, in a boat crossing the sea at night. It seems pretty routine. Just get to the other side. And then this storm comes up, and it throws their life into chaos. The boat is close to being sunk. It says it's being swamped. And um, what's going to happen to us? Will we survive? And they cry out to Jesus, you know, and, you know, Lord, do you not care that we are perishing? Well, that's, that's a common question when we are on chaos, isn't it? You know, doesn't God care? Is there a God? Does it matter? Do I matter? Can't God do something? Yeah. And then Mark says, and Jesus is asleep in the, in the, in the boat on a cushion. I, I don't know why Mark added on a cushion, but it, it's, kind of, it's kind of touching. You know? uh, he was asleep on a cushion. And Jesus gets up and, and calms the storm. The, the water and the sea were always an issue of chaos 
for the Hebrews, and it shows up in the Hebrew scriptures as a place of chaos. It begins in Genesis, where, you know, where there is no land, there's only darkness, and there's only water, and, and things are formless and void. And I think how terrifying it must be to be in the ocean, in a stormy ocean at night, and there is no land. It's chaotic. The Hebrews um, feared unrestrained water, and so do we in hurricanes and floods. Restrained water is good. Unrestrained water is bad. Years ago when I was, um, <laughs> it was years ago, when I was on a conference committee as the token young person, I had to be uh, at annual conference on a early Friday, for an early Friday morning meeting, and I thought, well, I'll just drive up the night before and, and stay at, at annual conference on, on Sunday night and be ready to represent the young people at a meeting um, on Monday morning. So I was serving the church in Camden, which is in southwest Ohio, and, and I decided to, uh, I left in the afternoon and plenty of time to drive up Route 127, which goes along the western edge of the state. I like it in a, we, the, in the late 1800s, in the late 1700s, we built forts along Route, well, it wasn't Route 127, but forts along you know, Fort Washington in Cincinnati, Fort Hamilton, Fort St. Clair in Eaton, Fort Greenville, Fort Recovery, you know, I think there's a Fort Defiance or something up there. And, and, um, I just like to go through those towns. They're, they're pretty towns. So I left, and um, by the time I got pretty close to northwest Ohio, and then I was just going to cut east um, to Lakeside, I realized that northwest Ohio had a lot more rain than southwest Ohio had. And you started, I started to see the, the fields were flooded. And then there were roads that were closed and I had to take detours. And then there, it got dark, it got really dark. And then there were bridges that were washed out. And then there were detour signs that had been, I think, lost or, or moved in a prank. And, I, and this was before GPS. And I, and I found myself in the pitch black driving, I don't know where I was driving. I don't know if I was going north, south, east, or west. And off in the distance, I saw this, these, these, this bank of lights. And I thought, okay, I'm going to drive toward that bank of lights. That's got to be a city. So I, I drove this bank of lights in the pitch black, totally lost, thinking the light would get me there. And the road got wetter and wetter. And I kept going, thinking I would get there. And then the water started coming up around my tires. And it got a little higher, and I realized I was about 10 feet from driving into the Maumee River. And I still can close my eyes now and see that water 
swirling around the front of my car. It was chaos, and it was terrifying. Life was out of control. I slammed the car in reverse, got out of there, went to the closest motel that I could find, the Bates Motel. (laughs) I didn't care to spend the night. Chaos. We have different thresholds of chaos. Chaos threatens our sense of identity. It it threatens our sense of security. It threatens our lives, and it threatens our sense of belonging. You know, there are all kinds of chaos in our life. There's the chaos of the parking system in the short north. There's the chaos of construction in in this neighborhood, on High Street, in the campus area, all over Columbus. You know, it takes forever to get anywhere, and we talk about the chaos of traffic. You know, 9-11 was chaos. You know, we lost our sense of security. Life became unpredictable and precarious, and we are clearly still dealing with that. You know, we talk about the chaos at the border. It's an issue of identity and belonging and security for the people at the border, the people who are in cages, kids separated from their families. We talk about the chaos that gives us where we're not sure what our identity is anymore as citizens, as a country. What are we about? There's the chaos of global warming, where the future seems pretty precarious. Then there's actually, when you look at this miracle, there's the chaos of Jesus. The storm comes up. They feel threatened. They tell Jesus to wake up. He does, and he stills the storm. And then it says... They're still afraid. Why are you still afraid? Jesus asked. I get it that they're afraid during the storm. Why are they afraid after the storm has been calmed? Well, my gosh, Jesus, if Jesus can do this, what else can we, he do? We've got a tiger by the tail here. We don't understand this guy at all if he can do what God does in Genesis. There's this chaos. And we... Chaos we can react to or we can respond to. Often our immediate... is a, We immediately come up with a reaction, don't we? We can get angry. We can get into denial. We can want to shoot the messenger. We want to do away with our anxiety, as Beth was talking about. But we, in a way, it it, it doesn't, denying it, getting angry, doesn't really work because the problem's still there. I can get mad at the traffic, but the traffic's still there. 
we can also respond to chaos. We can put some thought into it where it's not just emotional. We can start to think about our values. You know, when I get angry at something, after a while I start to respond and I think, is anger what I want to be? Is vengeful what I want to be? Is sarcastic what I want to be? Are these my values? Do I want to be forgiving? Do I want to be, do I want to be generous? We respond rather than react. Here's a real quick example, and after I give it, you're not going to hear another word I say. Last week, uh, when Brenda and I did the Sunday school class on the capital campaign that we, we were thinking about and the think projects that the church might want to be doing and needs to do and so on, I mentioned that on the list for the capital campaign was the uh, possibility of putting projection screens in Fellowship Hall and in this room. Now, chiefly, I got a reaction. Yeah. What? What? In the sanctuary? It was interesting, throughout the week, I started to get responses. Well, tell me what you're thinking. And other people would say, you know, I was thinking about this, and here's why I think it might be a good idea. Now, we have to, we have to put it discreetly and tastefully, but I was getting responses rather than reactions. There's a difference between saying there's nothing to be afraid of and do not be afraid. There's a difference, I'm going to say it again, between saying there's nothing to be afraid of and don't be afraid. Jesus never said there's nothing to be afraid of. I'm not aware of anywhere in the Bible where it says there's nothing to be afraid of. Jesus did say, do not be afraid. There's lots of places in the Bible where they say, do not be afraid. Now, kind of the obvious example of this is a child who wakes up in the middle of the night and is afraid. And the child goes into her parents' room. And what I used to do as a child, I would get up and go to my parents' room and wake them up and get into bed with them. In other cases, children might wake up crying and the parent, let's, for the simplicity of the, of the example, the mother comes in and holds the child and says, there's nothing to be afraid of, which is what my parents would say to me. There's nothing to be afraid of. 
Now, when my parents said that to me, I thought, are you stupid? Are you stupid? There's nothing to be afraid of? Don't you know about the monster under my bed? Don't you know about the killer that just broke into the house and is in the basement and coming up the stairs? Can't you hear the house creaking? That's the weight of the, of the killer coming up the stairs. It's a half-truth to say there's nothing to be afraid of because we know there are things to be afraid of. There's illness. Illness throws chaos into our lives. We lose our identity. We lose our security. We feel isolated. There's pain. There's loss of meaning. There's loss of job. There's alienation. There's death. All of that throws us into chaos. And to say there's nothing to be afraid of is naive. What needs to be said is do not be afraid. I am with you. Earlier I went through a long list of chaos in our lives and you can add your chaos to it yourself. But the chaos of, of 9-11, the chaos of traffic, the chaos of the border, the the chaos of illness and death. Doesn't it make a difference to say, do not be afraid, I am with you. You are not alone. When the disciples cried out to Jesus, do you not care, that was the question. Are you with us? Are we alone? And Jesus says, no, you are not alone. In Galatians, the church is in chaos. And Paul says, we can see ourselves as slaves to fear, slaves to chaos, controlled by chaos, fearful, angry, or we can see ourselves as heirs. Now he says, neither a slave nor an heir actually has anything yet. But the slave will never have anything but fear. And the heir will eventually have things. The slave will never have identity, will never have security, will never have belonging. The heir will. And Paul says, Galatians, your heirs don't be controlled by the chaos. Jesus says to us, your heirs do not be controlled by the chaos. Paul says, when you cry, Abba, Father, it is the Spirit 
with you. When Paul says, when we cry, Abba, Father, he's saying we are rooted in God. Paul says elsewhere, and we know this almost by heart, in Romans 8, what shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or nakedness or peril or famine or sword? And then he says, no, in all these things, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Chaos happens in our lives all the time. And Paul's response and Jesus' response is, do not be afraid. I am with you. You are not alone. Thanks be to God. Amen.